If you love in sync, you got some more coming at you in 2020. Welcome to Learning English, a daily 30-minute program from the Voice of America. I'm Ashley Thompson, and I'm Dan Novak. This program is designed for English learners, so we speak a little slower. And we use words and phrases, especially written for people learning English. Coming up on the program, Dorothy Gundy has a story on a jet suit race in Dubai. Dan Friedel and Katie Weaver reports on life inside Russian prisons. I have a story on Cuba's efforts to surveil journalists and activists. And Andrew Smith has a story on the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. Later, Jill Robbins presents the everyday grammar lesson on the Miley Cyrus song "Flowers." But first, the pilots started their jet engines on a runway in the United Arab Emirates city of Dubai on Wednesday, but they were not preparing to fly an aircraft. They themselves would fly in the first ever jet suit race. The seven pilots with jet engines on their backs raced along the tall buildings of Dubai, like a scene from the movie Iron Man. The closest analogy would be that dream of flying, and then going wherever your mind is taking you. Said Richard Browning. He is the founder and chief test pilot for Gravity Industries, the company that held the race with Dubai. Browning added that the movie created the scene using computer technology, but his company did it for real. The pilots wore 1,500 horsepower jet suits for the race. Those engines have more mechanical power than most sports cars, and use the same fuel as the Airbus A380 and Boeing 777 passenger jets. Then came what pilot Isa Kalfan called. The moment of truth. The engines roared, and pilots jumped and leaned forward, and they took off like a helicopter. Organizers say they took off from the runway next to the water to enable higher speeds. The jet suit currently can reach speeds of 128 kilometers an hour. Gravity Industries said. It is also safer for the pilots to fly short distances above water. Calfan, who won the race, said he was nervous before his flight. Everything's hot. It's running. The engines are screaming at you, Calfan said. But he said the jet suit was safe and easy to handle. There was one crash during Wednesday's race. Emirati pilot Ahmed Al Shahi, 
smashed into the water, going feet first, but immediately came to the surface to give a thumbs up to rescuers. An announcer described him as having just 12 days of training before the race. It's pretty amazing to see that they can do this in Dubai, and they have these guys flying over the water, said Jennifer Ross, an American who lives in Dubai. It's kind of like astronauts flying around in space. With its beaches, bars, and buildings, Dubai has long been a city known for its love of aviation. The city is home to the world's busiest airport for international travel. It also has been developing the idea of flying taxis for several years. There are risks to jet suit travel, however. In 2020, Vincent Raffay died in a crash during training for a different flying project. He was famous for once flying alongside a two-level Emirates A380 jet. I'm Dorothy Gundy. Vladimir Karamurza is a critic of the Russian government. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison last year on charges of treason for speaking against Russia's war with Ukraine. He is in Penal Colony Number 6, south of Moscow and not far from Kazakhstan. Kara Murza's wife, Yevgenia, spoke with the Associated Press about her husband's experiences. She said her husband lives in a small cell with a cot, a sink, a stool, and toilet. The only things he owns are a drinking cup and a toothbrush. People are interested in what life is like inside of the prisons because another critic of President Vladimir Putin's government died at a prison in Russia's far north, close to the Arctic Circle. Alexei Navalny died February 16th. He was the leader of a political group that campaigned against Putin. 47-year-old Navalny was sentenced to 19 years in prison in early 2021. The Associated Press called life in Russia's prisons grim and noted the prisoners suffer from a lack of food, sleep, and health care. They also must deal with rules that change all the time. Grigory Vipan 
is a lawyer with Memorial, a group that started during the period of the Soviet Union. Memorial received the Nobel Prize in 2022. The group studies the experiences of political prisoners and how Russia uses the threat of prison to quiet critics. Vipan said there are 680 political prisoners in Russia. He also said no one in the Russian prison system is safe, but the situation is worse for government critics. The state aims to additionally punish them or additionally isolate them from the world or do everything to break their spirit, Vipan said. Karamurza's sentence of 25 years is the longest in modern Russia. He is one of a growing number of critics held in prison for expressing their anti-Putin opinions. Historians say the Russian prison system developed from the Soviet Union's gulags. The prisons of that time were known for their bad conditions. Nobel Prize-winning writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn documented the prisons in his books One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich and The Gulag Archipelago. Yevgenia Karamurza, the wife of Vladimir Karamurza, described Russian prison life. Meals are simple and not very satisfying. The first meal of the day is porridge, a liquid made from grains. The midday meal is soup with very little meat, along with mashed potatoes and a piece of meat or fish. For dinner, the meal is almost the same. Prisoners are permitted to eat two eggs per week. They can buy fruits and vegetables at small prison stores, but not much is available. Friends and family can send packages with other foods but those in solitary cells are not permitted to receive packages. Some prisoners are told to spend most of their days doing tasks such as cleaning their rooms. Other times they are told to only stand at attention. They sometimes must listen to recordings of prison rules for hours. Others are told to work. There are not enough jobs for all the men in the prison. In women's prisons, the jobs often include sewing uniforms for the military, police, and other workers. There are 30 to 40 women's prisons in Russia. One woman, Nadia Tolokonikova, was in prison for nearly 22 months. She was a member of the rock band Pussy Riot. Her prison time was from 2012 to 2013. She said 
she worked on uniforms for 16 to 18 hours at a time. It's a system of slavery, and it is truly horrible, she said. Inmates, another word for prisoners, are supposed to be paid at least minimum wage. That is about $200 per month, but experts say it is usually much less. Sasha Graf is an activist for better prison conditions. Graf said, Prisoners' pay can be as low as $3.20 per month. That is only enough to buy cigarettes at the prison store. Tola Konakova said, When she arrived at Penal Colony No. 14 in Mordovia, the head of the prison described himself as a Stalinist. She said he told her, You may be a somebody outside of this colony. Have a voice, people who support you and care for you. But here, you are completely in my power, and you need to understand this. Zoya Svetova, a reporter and prisoner rights activist, said that in the past, prisons were overseen by commissions that were supposed to make sure the prisoners were treated with respect. However, she said, most of the people have been replaced with those loyal to Putin's government. The government uses the prisons, she said, for intimidation and oppression. Oleg Kozlovsky of Amnesty International said political prisoners can be safe from the abuse that regular prisoners suffer. But there are still ways to make political prisoners feel bad. Navalny, he said, spent months in a cell on his own for breaking small rules, such as not having his uniform buttoned the right way, or not putting his hands behind his back at the right time. The time in the small cell, where it could be very cold in winter or very hot in summer, was not good for Navalny's health. He had been poisoned in the past and was still suffering from the effects of the poison. Karamertz's wife said her husband had also been poisoned. Although he is only 42, his health has worsened. She said he needs exercise and physical therapy to help his arms and legs. Alexei Goronov is 62. He criticized the war and was sent to prison for seven years. He has breathing problems and had a medical operation to remove one of his lungs. He is now in a prison hospital, but his lawyer says he is mistreated. Guards wake him up every two hours. He considers it a form of torture. I'm Dan Friedel. And I'm Katie Weaver.
There was a time when activists and reporters in Cuba had to speak in code or meet in European embassies to avoid government observation. Now the internet and encrypted messaging services offers some assistance, but as technology has made private communicating easier, Havana has found ways to interfere with or block messages. Cuba's independent reporters take care to protect their phones so they do not go into the hands of officials. If government agents seize an individual's phone, they will search through its data for evidence of wrongdoing. The Cuban Institute for Freedom of Expression and Press, or ICLEP, says it documented at least 210 incidents of internet restriction cases in the country. In 2023, those restrictions can include cutting internet access, blocking social media sites, or hacking the accounts of reporters or the media websites they work for. The ICLEP report found. Normando Hernandez is founder and director general of Miami, Florida-based ICLEP. He said the government tries to silence independent journalists. It is historically well known that the Cuban state listens and spies on all the conversations it wants to, Hernandez said. Cubans have no way to defend themselves against any breach of their rights. Reporter Henry Constantine says his internet was cut suddenly. After La Hora de Cuba, the media site for which he works, began criticizing the Cuban government. La Hora de Cuba is published on Facebook and Instagram. Its team of 15 reporters has an audience of between 46,000 and 48,000 on social media. Constantine says disconnecting journalists' telephone lines or internet access is designed to limit free speech. Hernandez said the government controls all access to digital expression. Havana controls the Cuban telecommunications company Etexa, which controls all digital communications on the island. Access to the network for users. Represents both a threat to Havana and an instrument of control for officials. But with that control, said Hernandez, officials can easily cut communication in general at historically important moments, or when something is happening in the island of interest to Cuban society. That appears to be the case with Constantine. In 2021, he was detained for 10 days for public disorder, after reporting on demonstrations against the government over food shortages and medicinal problems. ICLEP has documented digital harassment since 2016. In 2021, the activity was especially strong. ICLEP documented 1,129 violations of freedom of expression that year. During that year, protests against the Cuban government and Communist Party were the biggest since the 1959 revolution.
Prisoners Defenders International is a Spain-based human rights group. It said Cuba's government has been spying on reporters and activists for many years. Javier Larondo is president of Prisoners Defenders. He said the government monitors text messages for sensitive words. Using encrypted services like WhatsApp or Telegram is not always enough. When reporters or opposition activists are arrested, their phones are always seized, and the memory inspected by experts. Svalbard Global Seed Vault is on an island halfway between Europe and the North Pole. It contains frozen seeds of food crops from around the world. The vault opened in 2008 to help keep crops safe from extinction. This week. The vault received seeds from the largest number of new contributors ever. Contributors give seeds from their collections of seeds, called seed banks. Twenty-three seed banks took part, nine of them for the first time. The new contributors came from Bosnia and Herzegovina, Cameroon. Indonesia, Kazakhstan, Kenya, Madagascar, Nigeria, and Zambia. Crop Trust is a nonprofit group that operates the vault along with Norwegian officials. Crop Trust said the boxes of seeds arrived on Tuesday. They contained crop seeds such as beans, barley, cowpea, maize, rice, millet, and sorghum. Stefan Schmitz is executive director of Crop Trust. He said that keeping the seeds frozen in the Arctic helps guarantee food security for the future. The vault is set in permafrost caves. The seeds are kept at temperatures around minus eighteen degrees Celsius. Between twenty fifteen and twenty nineteen, the vault helped rebuild seed collections that were damaged during the war in Syria. Crop Trust said many of the seeds given on Tuesday were the result. Of a worldwide, ten-year biodiversity project known as Bold. The project aims to support global food and nutrition security. The trust added. Norway's Ministry of Agriculture and Food said 111 seed banks in 77 countries now have crop seeds. 
in Svalbard. The Crop Trust website says the vault currently has over 1 million seed samples. It also says the vault has room to hold 4.5 million varieties of crops. I'm Andrew Smith. The Recording Academy in the United States gives awards to the performers and songwriters with the most outstanding achievements from the year before. The Academy calls those awards the Grammys. At the 2024 Grammy Awards, the Song of the Year Award went to Miley Cyrus for her song Flowers. In today's lesson, we will look at some grammar rules Cyrus follows in the song, and one rule she breaks. The song begins with the story of a breakup. We were good, we were gold, kind of dream that can't be so. Ooh, we were right, till we weren't, built a home, then watched it burn. Well, I didn't want to leave you, I didn't want to fight. I started to cry, then remembered I. In this first part, Cyrus uses an informal adverb, kinda, to describe the dream she and her partner had. In formal language, she would say, it was the kind of dream that can't be sold. We expect to hear informal language in songs, so this is not really breaking any rules. She follows with another informal word, the verb form wanna, in I didn't want to leave you, I didn't want to lie. It is very common to hear this pronunciation in spoken English of the words want to. Next, we get to where Cyrus follows and breaks the same rule. She describes the expressive actions of a romantic partner that she can do for herself. Her song tells us about the kinds of things a romantic partner might do, but Cyrus says she, as an independent woman, can do those things without the partner. Listen for the reflexive pronoun myself in these lines. Did you catch the place where she broke the rule about when to use a reflexive pronoun? The rule is, when the object and the subject of the verb are the same, use the reflexive pronoun to describe the object. Cyrus follows this rule when she sings, I can buy myself flowers, talk to myself for hours, and I can take myself dancing. 
but she breaks it when she sings, I can love me better than you can. Let's take a moment for a little quiz here. Can you say or sing the same line with the reflexive pronoun? Take a moment so you can think. Following the rule, this should be, I can love myself better than you can. Cyrus probably uses me to match the beat of the music. Often, that is more important to singers than following grammar rules. In one line of the song, Cyrus uses the adjective own to refer to things belonging to herself. Let's listen to that line. Here, own is correct because it makes the action clear. If she had not used own, we might not understand. She could be singing about holding her hand up, for example. Hold my own hand makes it clear to us that she is using one hand to hold another. What do you think of Miley Cyrus's song? Are there any singers in your country who sing about their independence in this way? Write to us at learningenglish at voanews.com and tell us about them. And that's Everyday Grammar. I'm Jill Robbins. And that's our program for today. Join us again tomorrow to keep learning English through stories from around the world. I'm Ashley Thompson. And I'm Dan Novak. 